Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Go Behind the Ballot. I'm Claire Campos O'Neill, and this is the part two episode to our conversation with Ash Hall. Ash came and spoke with Nicole and I about gender identity, gender ideology, helped us understand the difference between those two things, and just shared so much great information about what's happening in Texas. In this part two episode, we really dig into the Texas part of things and the bills that were passed in the last legislative session that impacted transgender Texans. And then Ash also shared with us this mandate that Governor Greg Abbott put forth, which called for CPS to investigate families with transgender children. There's been a lot of fallout from that mandate, a lot of debate about if that was even permissible. But it was really interesting hearing the perspective of Ash's about what the fallout's been and what these families have been experiencing and all the negative in just like a lot of the negative impact. So it was a really great continuation of our talk. There's a lot of information here, a lot for us to learn, a lot for me to learn. I'm realizing how many blinders I have, how much I want to know so that I can speak well about this and challenge a lot of my assumptions that I have. So thank you for joining us. We really hope you enjoy the conversation with Ash and me and Nicole. So here it is. We got to bring it home to Texas. Like what, for people who don't, aren't aware, what is like actually enshrined in policy here in Texas? And and maybe I'll let you start with that, because of course, what we want to understand is with the legislature coming into session in January, what be on the lookout for? The one thing that is truly explicitly anti-trans that is state law at this point is the anti-trans student athlete bill. So if you're a trans student at the very least in a public school or playing in like a public school, like sport program, like UIL, for example, you do not get to play on the team that matches your gender identity. It is now explicitly about what sex you have or what gender is on your birth certificate, what was on your original birth certificate, I should say, because you can actually get that changed. And now What's really dangerous for a lot of trans people is the Republican Party saying, we don't care what you change it to. The original is the only thing that matters, which takes away some of the rights and flexibility legally that we've been afforded by being able to change our documents. So that's the only thing that's on the books. It's terrible because being able to engage in athletic activity is linked to better mental health outcomes. And trans students, by virtue of being discriminated against, already struggle a lot with anxiety and depression. And now we are saying you cannot actually participate in competitive sports teams if you are trans. So good luck with all of that. But that's the only thing that is explicitly anti-trans that is on the books. Can I do a little quick shout out personal testimonial moment here? Sure. My youngest is in middle school and wanted to play volleyball, did play volleyball. And it was a fantastic experience. And this is my not so athletically inclined child, but desperately and got to be a part of the volleyball team. They do go to private school. And then also 
I asked, do you want to sign up for basketball? With a big question mark in my tone. And absolutely. So just personal testimonial about the value and the need for kids to have access to sports. It's super important and it goes way beyond athletics, right? I would say that's probably the least benefit for my particular kiddo. It is actually about camaraderie and being a part of a team. Yeah, the physical exercise is a piece of it because that helps with different regulatory systems in your body. But yeah, it's the camaraderie, it's the friendships, it's learning teamwork, it's learning how to make the best out of a loss, things like that. And so the fact that we're depriving one of the most vulnerable groups of kids in the entire state of that, those kind of benefits, to me, that's insidious. And it tells me that these elected leaders do not care about our kids. So that's the only one that's on the books. That's what makes what isn't on the books, but is happening anyway, so interesting. So even though this is not on the books, it's not a law, anything like that. In addition to that, Greg Abbott also mandated that the Department of Family and Protective Services should start investigating accepting families with trans kids and have CPS look into these families, investigate them, determine if there's any child abuse happening. And he was able to do this like on his own, right? He didn't need other legislate, other elected officials to back him up. It was like an executive order, so to speak. I decided this is happening. Is that how that worked? Yes and no. That is how he attempted to do it. Whether or not it's actually legal, that's been a really interesting fight in the courts. And ultimately, the courts determined that he was not really allowed to mandate that of the agency because the legislature didn't pass anything saying that was the law. However, the agency has chosen to go ahead and do this anyway. And so a number of families have been terrorized by this. Like we're talking small children ages five to eight crying and thinking that their families are going to be ripped apart and it's all their faults because a group of adults has decided that this is appropriate behavior for them to take. And so the result has been mass exodus out of Texas by a number of these families, which is extremely painful to watch. Yep. I know a family that moved. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we have young kids saying goodbye to their friends and their families and the places that they grew up and having to be reassured by everyone in their life that it's not their fault. And I do believe that as they grow older, they will understand that. But right now, I imagine it's hard for a lot of them to not feel like this is their fault. And if only they weren't trans. So again, another really insidious action by our state government. But yeah, that's been the result. The families that have stuck around, it's been a lot of counseling and crying and a lot of talking to lawyers, a lot of leaning on community, trying to keep a low profile, that sort of thing. And then a number of us have been showing up at the department hearings and speaking out against this over and over again. And I think we got told most recently that it's not a big deal. It's only 13 families. And it's just like, that is 13 families too many. And if it's quote unquote, not a big deal, maybe you should stop the investigations. And let's talk about the chilling effect, right? It may be 13, fam- but I can share my experience, which is that it's scared the ever loving out of us. And so then there's the scramble for how do we secure our safety as a family? God, I always get super emotional about this, but yeah, it was really scary. And I'm so lucky. I get to speak from a place of privilege on this. My kids do go to a private school that is incredibly accepting. 
I felt very confident that I could immediately, and I did email the school and say, can you please (laughs) reassure me that if somebody shows up to campus, you will not allow them to interview my children. And immediately they said, of course. So I knew I had a shield in that space. I also, again, I have the privilege of being able to send my kids to private school. And that is unbelievably lucky and privileged. And I can only imagine the terror and the fear, fear that other people feel. And yeah, it's real. Even if it's not your particular family that's being investigated, you feel exactly, I think, what we're meant to feel, which is incredibly fearful. And first of all, I'm sorry that you've had to go through this. This is exactly why we fought so hard against this was so that you and your family would not have to go through this. And second, yeah, it's basically state-sanctioned terrorism is what it is. It is designed to terrify families, keep kids in the closet, keep families from letting their kids be who they are. It is exactly designed to have a killing effect. And so your options are either move or go back in the closet and hope that doesn't kill you. And that's not okay. So these 13 families that are, I'm assuming, being investigated, like what has that looked like for them? What's that experience been like? Are they showing up at their schools and interviewing the kids? What is this? Yeah. I don't know as much about them showing up at the schools. I assume that has probably happened or at the very least phone calls have been made. Most of the stories that I hear about, it depends on the CPS caseworker. The ones that are more aggressive are the ones I'm most concerned about. Those are folks that keep making phone calls, that keep knocking on doors and demanding to speak to the kid. It's it's basically harassment. They keep showing up. They keep being very threatening. Um, they try to look into personal data for each member of the family and try to see if they can twist that into a way to force the kid to talk to them, things like that. Other caseworkers know that this whole thing is ridiculous and they strongly disagree with it. I think they chose to do it because they felt it was better that they do it than one of the more aggressive people. And so they'll do the investigation and talk to the parents. They'll be incredibly apologetic. They may do a little bit of observation and then they'll make the notes in the case that looks to be a normal, healthy, functional family, an ideal for other families, other kids. The problem is that these cases stay open no matter what the caseworkers want because the agency is being pushed by the governor to keep these cases open because it looks better for him politically. And meanwhile, some caseworkers, actually many caseworkers, have been so offended by this entire mess that a lot of them have left. And so now we have a department that was already in a lot of trouble because they could barely take care of the foster kids that they were supposed to help. Now they don't even have a bunch of CPS caseworkers. So it's a system that was already in big trouble, like falling apart even more needlessly because of one man's hate mongering campaign to make him seem like more of a conservative. I just keep thinking to myself, how do you connect those dots for people who do, I really think might for Abbott, but still have a lot of compassion for children and families. And do you understand, though, like what's happening in your name, so to speak, when you vote for the for folks that push forward these agendas, like you are breaking the CPS system, which is there to support foster children. And we will have more foster children as more women can't access abortions. It is just so connected. And I don't know how you help take off those blinders. Yeah. And part of the problem is when you 
first try to explain this to somebody who has been listening to Abbott and the greater Republican machine about this, they say that's what's supposed to happen because these kids are being abused. Never mind, we have so much data from so many different credited medical agencies that show that kids who have supportive families are way more likely to have better mental health outcomes um, than those that don't. Having even one supportive adult in their life reduces their risk of a suicide attempt by 41%. Generally, trans people are a lot happier and report lower rates of anxiety and depression when they are surrounded by supportive loved ones and have a chance to start transition, even if that transition is as simple as a name change and new pronouns and a new outfit, which for a lot of our younger members, like that is what transition looks like. It's discussing gender identity, maybe with a therapist, a new wardrobe, a haircut, and yeah, different pronouns, maybe a different name. It depends. Yeah. Ash, can you talk about how gender mutilation does not belong in this discussion? Like it's just not. That's one of the most outrageous lies of all is the genital mutilation piece of this. That's not a thing. That's just straight up not a thing. There is not a doctor in this nation that would do that for anybody with actually two notable exceptions, one being circumcision. Somehow we're not raising a big stink about that. But two, and this is wild because in every anti-trans healthcare bill we introduced, there's this exception in place. We're totally cool with doctors mutilating genitalia on infants if they're intersex and they can't consent to that. And later on, we find most intersex folks are traumatized to learn that is what has happened to them. And there's a big movement to stop doing that to intersex infants. Can you explain for our listeners who don't know what intersex is? Intersex is when your genetic material itself suggests that you are not a man or a woman. You have a mix of both primary and secondary sex characteristics. So an example may be like externally, it may appear that you have a vulva, but internally you may have testes. That's one example out of many different kinds of intersex, I guess, options that exist variations. So that's what intersex is. And it's actually extremely common. In the United States, you're as likely to be looking at a person who is intersex as you are to see a person with red hair. So extremely common variation. But when it comes to these genital mutilation scares that the Republican Party are trying to bring up, we aren't doing that to transgender youth. Like medical transition is a long process, takes years, and there's a lot of steps taken to ensure that somebody is emotionally ready and developmentally ready for any sort of surgery to happen. You're not going to see anything like that until like yeah. teenage years at the youngest. However, it isn't. We need to say that. Like The destination is not always surgery. I feel like that also needs to be really clear. It's like, that's an option. It is on the table, but that is not the destination for everyone. That's right. There's a number of different ways that trans people transition and find joy in their own bodies and their own genders. And surgery is not always what the answer ends up being for folks. It is an option and it's an answer for some folks, but it's not for everybody. It's just wild to me that we're accused of this, but then in these same bills that purport to ban gender genital mutilation, 
there's literally an exception in there for surgery on intersex infants, which tells you that the cruelty is the point. What do they say? What are their thoughts around intersex folks? They won't even talk about it. We've called them out on it so many times and they have nothing. They won't tell us anything. And that's because the cruelty is the point. If they try to justify it for even a second, it becomes clear this is just an anti-LGBTQ bill. And the eye for intersex is included in our community. And so this is part of how they punch down at us. I just want to take a quick step back because I think I'm even realizing my blinders and, and what I don't know. So when we when you say trans, it sounds like that's a spectrum. Can you like define transgender, I guess, for me? That would help. Sure. So it's an umbrella term. The simplest definition I have for it is it's somebody whose gender identity does not match what is indicated on their birth certificate. That's the simplest definition I've got. That being said, it is an umbrella term. It includes people who are trans men, that is folks who transition from female to male, trans women, folks who transition from male to female. It includes people who are non-binary, like it includes people who are two-spirit, which is a Native American gender identity that's somewhat similar to folks who might be non-binary or bi-gender in the sense that they feel that they have an identity that is inclusive of both male and female. Yeah, there's folks who are bi-gender, there's folks who are agender and feel they don't have a gender at all. There are many identities that fall into that category. And then there are some that fall into this more Venn diagram range, actually like the non-binary identity, where some folks feel that they're non-binary and trans, some folks feel that they're just non-binary, but wouldn't say that they're trans. So it's a fascinating umbrella. Some people are directly under it. Some people are just outside of it or partially in, partially out. Okay, that's helpful. Do you think part of the backlash is that we're finally naming these things and recognizing them and people are like, oh, man, this is too much. I can't. I can't keep up with this. I don't want to change. So we've been naming a lot of these things for years, and that has always come with backlash. I don't know if it's less that people can't keep up so much as they don't want to and they don't want to complicate their worldviews. That's what I was going to say. It sounds like the symptom, right? But the actual illness is not wanting anything to be different or to change, even though it's like it's always existed, right? But the awareness and the need to acknowledge is what feels different. Yeah, I think what offends people more than the fact that the terms exist is the fact that the terms are more widespread now. And that's what makes this whole effort to shut us down and make us invisible so interesting is it's not like these terms are going to magically go away just because you pass some laws that make it harder to experience being trans safely in public. The internet will always exist, presumably. These terms will continue to grow and evolve. We will always be here. I mentioned before that Nazi Germany attempted to erase a lot of our history. They also attempted to erase us. We were one of the groups that was rounded up and put into camps and annihilated. We still keep popping up in cultures, countries all over the world. We've always been here and we're going to keep appearing in the world. I don't know what the meaning of life is. I don't know why trans people exist or don't. But personally, I'm happy that we have so much variation in our 
cute little human species, because I think there's a lot that we can learn from each other and that these differences are something that we can celebrate. I think there needs to be a lot more celebrating around difference as opposed to being freaked out by it. I know. It's just like the go-to is freak out, freak out. Um, There doesn't need to be. I feel like one of the easiest examples I have for this, maybe allegorically, is Fiesta in San Antonio. Like that is an event that celebrates like everything like Latine, Hispanic, just like all of that, like the community relationship between Texas and Mexico and like all of that. And the grand majority of people I see there, I would say, belong in those communities. But you also see people of all sorts of different races and cultures and ethnicities there. And everyone's welcome there to participate and celebrate and have a good time because that's an event where difference is celebrated. This isn't about that white norm that I think a lot of the conservatives are really obsessed with. This is, we're focusing on this particular culture today. Come celebrate the difference, have some good food, listen to some good music. It really could be that easy. Like it really could. Ooh, I like that hopeful note. Could be that easy. It could. Culturally, it could be. There's still issues to figure out around systems and privilege and power. But in terms of our culture, it could absolutely be that easy. Same. I love that. I'm wondering what is the message or what do you wish people who maybe identify as LGBTQIA plus or allies who are sitting on the sidelines? I don't really know how this impacts me. What's the message to them? It impacts you more than you think. If it doesn't yet, it will. And also... There's an Ann Richards quote that I think about all the time because the first time I heard it, I got happy chills. And it's, why should your life be just about you? I love that quote. I do mention the first two points, though, because what we have been finding for quite some time now is when we start to attack trans people and start to try to make these rules about who belongs on what sports team or what qualifies as man enough or woman enough, Some of the first people who get implicated in that mistakenly are Black cisgender women. We've seen this many times over looking at sports requirements. Some of the first people who are accused of being, quote unquote, too man to participate in women's athletics are Black women, especially when they start accomplishing and achieving a lot and white women start placing second, third, fourth in comparison that is one of the first gender identities, racial, racialized gender identities here, that gets turned on when we start using these really transphobic ways of boxing people in. And we've seen that with the Williams sisters. We've seen that with Castor Semenya. We've seen that with a number of Olympians. And so, well, interesting in a bad way, right? As the trans sports ban takes effect in these school years and people are told what they can and can't do, Trans people will be the first to feel the brunt of it, but it's a matter of time before there's a black female student who's cis, who starts really excelling at track meets or basketball or volleyball, you name it. And there's a white parent from the other team who decides that woman can't possibly actually be a woman. That's probably really a man. And so that's how it starts. And then what happens? What really is happening? Are they like, oh, you have to go to the doctor and like the doctor has to check? What does that look like? We're going to find out. I'm 
yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just like, this should not be happening. And can we talk to, I love what you're saying, because what seems almost casual, I can't think of a better way to put it, how much that seeps into the culture. And my little testimonial moment here is that last year when my daughter was playing soccer, and I explained she's very male presenting, she's on a girl's team, she's a girl, although doesn't matter. But the point is the other team said, somebody yelled out from the other team, this is girls soccer, when they saw her as the goalkeeper. And the coaches, like, bless them, very quickly shut it down. They just went, we know, we got it, and just wouldn't entertain trying to defend anything, which I was really grateful for. But that's really awful for my daughter to have to hear somebody yell that out as if they have the right to question anything. And clearly they felt empowered and as if they did have that right. That's really scarring to a child. That's that kind of thing that you remember forever, right? That really writes on your heart and soul. And so beyond all the big things that we're talking about, there's also those little moments that people feel empowered to step outside of the bounds of respectability and kindness. And they just feel all rights to do it. Then I would imagine that those people won't even think twice about that thing that they yelled out so casually. But that's the kind of stuff that for kids is deeply scarring. So this is real and important, I think is just what I want to underline. And everybody plays a part. Like we all have a role to play in shutting this kind of stuff down. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because policy and culture interact all the time. It's something I really want to study more actually. But yeah, a lot of what happens in the pink dome determines, ends up determining how we get treated out in the rest of the world. And like that example is exactly it. Now that trans people are on everybody's radar in this really scrutinized, negative way, there are all these people that feel empowered to make these rude, bold, damaging comments to kids. Kids. Yeah. Kids. Can we point that out? <laughs> yeah. And like, they don't think twice about it. And it's just like you, like your comment may be what is echoing around in a kid's head as they spiral from being in a relatively good place mental health wise to developing an anxiety disorder. Like you have options with how you respond to this stuff. And it's like, people don't even think about it. We all have to take responsibility and try to be that kind of positive force that shuts this down, but also actively affirms all the kids around us, no matter what they look like. That's going to be part of how we win. Ultimately, we create the culture that we want to see and we want to be a part of. Yeah, that's great. I have one more question and then we'll move on to our last part. So where do you think there's so many areas, so many times in the show, I'm like, Nicole, there's so much to fix. (laughs) But where do you think we should most focus our attention to make sure Texas is an inclusive place that is welcoming for all Texans. I think it's going to have to be schools, in part because that is what our opponents are focusing on. And that's part of why I spent a lot of time this past election cycle focusing on school boards, because we had a lot of people trying to get on these school boards with an agenda to make it harder to be a kid that has any sort of identity that is seen as outside of that white, cisgender, heterosexual norm. So in a weird way, because our opponents are putting so much pressure now in schools to 
teach inaccurate U.S. history, to be terrible to trans kids, to assert what bathrooms people can use, what sports teams people can be on, what books we read. That's going to have to be where we focused. And that's going to be complicated because our public schools in particular are so underfunded still to this day. Our teachers don't have the resources they need to even really teach their classes the way that they would like to, much less actually receive the support that they need just to live their lives in a way that's comfortable. And so we really have our work cut out for us, but it's going to have to be schools. It's going to have to be, we decide to be the kind of parents that are affirming and accepting around everyone's kids and also around parents who are trans or LGBTQIA+, all of that. We're going to have to fight to make sure that there's a variety of books that are available to our kids. Um, we're going to have to fight to make sure that our teachers know that, no, not every parent thinks that they're terrible. A lot of us think they're doing a great job. We're going to have to show up to school board meetings and voice that, which is actually a surprisingly effective tactic. When parents show up at school board meetings where there are people ready to scream about teachers, and then they go in there instead and talk about how great everything it is, how great the teachers are and the school board and the schools and all that. The screamers, like, it completely messes them up because now they're going to look like jerks if they scream and shout and sound terrible. It completely changes their tenor. So I strongly recommend that move. But yeah, I think we're going to have to focus on schools because that is what is coming under fire the most. And it's the starting point for most of us, right? We learn who we are, we get socialized, we learn a lot of our values in school. So I would look there. Yeah, I love that answer. For me, a lot of it comes back to public education. This is an institution we typically all tend to agree deserves funding and support is still a public good. So we have to make sure that it's getting the funding it needs and the support it needs and the positive messages and that we're really invested there. So I love it. I love that answer. And to remind people, if your child goes to a local ISD, there is portion at the meetings, which are normally monthly, for public comment. And you can say, my child's teacher is incredible. I just want to take a moment to brag on them or whatever it is. And I'm sure that would be incredible for them to hear. And like you said, maybe take the piss out of people who are there to complain. <laughs> so that's a great idea. Nicole, any last thoughts before we move on to our last part of the show? I just quick shout out, yes, to public schools. I know I just revealed that my kids go to private school, but I was a public school teacher, went to public schools my whole life. I am a supporter. And it's okay. I'm not saying everyone has to go to a public school. There are some really great, some great private schools out there too. There's some that are not great, but there are plenty that are great. And I think that's awesome. And also like kudos to you for being a public school teacher. It's like one of the greatest things you can do for our society. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we love our educators. All right. Well, this was a lot of great information. So many things to touch on and think about and discuss. Ash, thank you for sitting with us for so long. Goodness gracious. We've gone so far over time. It's okay. I hope I'm not rambling too much or anything. I just have so many thoughts in my brain all the time. <laughs> yeah. The more we get into this, the more we realize that interconnectedness of everything. And it's like to talk about this, you have to back up and talk about this. And then you have to talk about this. And 
that's just how it is. But I think the more we can piece it together, the more the new picture becomes clear. And it's, I like this version of reality over this version that we're living in. Yikes. And we'll fix it. Okay. So for our last part, before we let our guests go, we like to do our attention mentions where we mention something that has our attention. A lot of times for me, it's a TV show, but it can be a book or an article or something that happened that was quite memorable. I'm thinking. I have mine. Okay, Nicole, what you got? Yep. I prepared as we were talking because I was like, oh, this is something for sure that I've seen that I can definitely recommend. And it is The Problem with Jon Stewart which many of the clips are available on YouTube, but it is on Apple Plus. And the season two, episode one is called The War Over Gender. And he has this amazing conversation with the Attorney General of Arkansas that really just displays all of the hypocrisy of so much of the legislation that is trying to legislate the bodies of transgender people. The Problem with Jon Stewart, season two, episode one, The War Over Gender is a really good primer after you listen to this for just letting everything sink in. Yeah, that was a great episode. My favorite part of that episode was when he was interviewing his roundtable and there was a parent who talked about the experience of having their child come out as trans. This was a person who grew who was in a very conservative community in a church environment and how a this isn't great, but this is a story how abandoned that person was by their community. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I think John Stewart asked, did this experience that you went through change anyone's mind around you? And the parent was like, sadly, no. Yeah. Sorry, B.W. Downer. But I was like, surely when you see someone that you care about go through this, that has to have an impact. And maybe it did. Those around were quiet about it. But that's the thing I hope that we get some movement on is these people who are like, nearby start to wake up and say, person's hurting and I have to help them be a support system. Yeah. And that's not a downer. I think it's an interesting lesson in making sure the community that you're in really is the right community for you and like really is going to support you no matter what happens. I like that spin. (laughs) Okay. Do you have anything, Ash? I figured out. Yeah. I'm having trouble thinking as much about like a specific like show or anything. I recently went to the Texas Book Festival. And so I just want to give that event a shout out. I feel like if you're a Texan and you've never been, you should try to go at least it's every fall in Austin at the Capitol and around the Capitol. You get to meet authors and hear them speak. There's books for sale everywhere. There's books for free everywhere. A lot of people bring dogs for you to pet. There's food trucks. It's just a gorgeous little event. And it's just neat to be surrounded by so many different people who are all there because they're interested in learning and they're curious about the world around them and the people around them. So I guess that's what's on my mind lately is just how much I love that event and how I wish everyone could go at least once. One of my closest friends growing up, her parents, that was their yearly couple trip was they would come to Austin for the Texas Book Festival. Yeah, I can even still see the La Quinta in my mind where they stayed downtown to (laughs) go to the festival. Yeah, yeah, I have no excuse. I've never been, but I will go now. I make sure because I live in Austin. Like, how much easier could it be? And free books. Sign me up. I love free books. (laughs) 
Okay, my mention is this documentary I saw on Hulu called God Forbid, the Sex Scandal That Brought Down a Dynasty. I saw this and I was like, whoa, this story is messy. Just a quick little recap for y'all not familiar. It follows the sex scandal of the Falwell couple, Becky and Jerry Falwell Jr. They had this actually like a years long relationship with this young man in Miami. And yet they were saying in public marriages between a man and a woman and don't have premarital sex and don't have affairs and all this stuff. Jerry Falwell Jr., for those who don't know, is a president of Liberty University. His father, Jerry Falwell, created the religious right, the moral majority. He really activated that voting block. And the documentary starts out and it's very like salacious and like sex scandal. But then it goes into the story of the rise of the right, the religious right. And really exposes the hypocrisy there. So I thought this was so well done. And the ties to Trump, that was also, I watched it, by the way, that was really interesting to see how the political machinery was all up in it. Yes. And these folks, like I've read reviews on or comments about the documentary, like it was great until it got political. And I was like, y'all, the point was that these people are political. So you have to tell that part of the story to make it whole and to really understand why this sex scandal matters to us. Otherwise, it's completely unimportant. That's just a marriage story. Like, Yeah, it's their life. Who cares? Yeah. It sounds like they didn't read the previews or anything and were just ready to judge some people. Probably. Yeah. So it's y'all should check it out and let us know what you think, because that was an interesting narrative that they put together. But Anyway, all that to say, thank you again, Ash. You are an incredible guest and we really appreciate the work you do. And I just, I love your story, how you're studying therapy. Sounds like it's so much helped inform the way that you can communicate about gender issues and policy and put pieces together for people in a way that hopefully they hear and then can help become part of that coalition to make things better. That's the goal. And thank you for the support and the love on that. And yeah, I am gearing up for what is going to probably be a very busy legislative session. But I do have some hope because actually, thanks to your podcast, I've learned that I've made more inroads with some of the moderate Republicans than I originally thought. So I'm going to keep trying to use these skills to reach for people who a lot of people might deem unreasonable and see if I can get them to be helpful. Thanks for your willingness to do that. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think it's so easy to be like, oh, like no one can be moved. But it's like we're still people at the end of the day. Like there's still there's always hope. Absolutely. Yeah. We cling on to. And like we say in the podcast, offering hope in these challenging times because people can surprise you in pleasant ways. And that's what we put out into the universe. So thanks again. This was great. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.